Amen. It is a privilege to be in the Lord's house Amen. this morning and worship with the saints. I've heard people say that they don't need church, and, that, and, and that's their choice, but I think we need to be fellowshipping one with another. Amen. It gives us strength. It gives us encouragement. We build each other up. And I told one man one time, he said, I don't need church. I said, well, at least you need to be meeting out on the ditch bank somewhere if it ain't with one or two people. And getting support and, and, uh, and getting some scriptural and some spiritual need that we impart to each other. And I think it's very important to sing songs of praise as a body of believers and to hear the preaching of the Word. As well. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to the book in the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 13? I'm going to be finishing up uh, probably, if the Lord permit, within, uh, I think I'm going to ex- extend this on to either part three or four, uh, depending on which way the Lord leads in this, because there's so many specific things that we need to look at in this chapter of Mark. Uh, pertaining what we might call uh, end time events or what's going to happen in the end of times. It might mean something different for the disciples. It might mean the same. What is it going to mean for the disciples? What is it going to mean for us? And so these are some things that I think we need to look at. And we want to do justice to the text. So I may extend this on to either three or four parts depending on how the Lord uh, will lead in the, uh, the study as I begin to study on this. Today I want us to look at this aspect where we picked up off last, uh, last time we were together is troubling times. Troubling times. And as we begin to wrap up the Gospel of Mark itself, we got 16 uh, chapters in the book of Mark. So mind some of the themes overall as we began to walk through the book of Mark looking at Jesus as being the Son of God. That's the picture that Mark wants to paint for us. A picture of the Son of God. And so oftentimes we'll come across imagery in the book of Mark itself as if we're taking a journey with Jesus. We're walking through Galilee or we're walking through Jerusalem. So we're on a journey. And if the Lord permits, by the time we get to chapter 16, we'll have a clear outline of the whole book itself. And so I'm going to get a hard copy of that in your hands from Mark chapter 1 to Mark chapter 16, an outline of the book of Mark itself. Now, we noticed some things last week, the last time we were in the book of Mark, uh, the disciples stepped outside the temple and said, Jesus, got Jesus to the temple and said, look at these magnificent stones. Look at this magnificent temple. And so Jesus, just like a master teacher would do, sat down with his disciples and he, what we say, tore down their false hopes. Not to have their hopes in stones and buildings and churches, but to have their their hope grounded in Christ. Also, he set up the scene of things to come. And and more or less, got them ready for persecution. He might be saying to his disciples, everything isn't going to be a bed of roses. Everything isn't going to be perfect in this life. Expect Expect the enemy to come against you. That's something that he might have said to his disciples. The bigger, the bigger picture that I kind of wanted us to look at last week was this. Is your trust in Jesus and not buildings or your heritage? Is your trust in Christ and not your mama and daddy's baptism? Is your trust in Jesus and not their salvation experience? Is your trust in Christ alone? Now the main thing for us today is to know not the hour or the time of His return, but to know the one that is returning. 
Not to look to see, is Jesus going to break the eastern sky today? But to know the one that's going to break the eastern sky. There's a difference there. My prayer for us today is that we would cling to Christ and to Christ alone. And as we survey these events in the Scripture, we're going to see that Jesus loves you today. He loves me. He loves all. But the problem is not everyone sees Jesus for who He is. So by the uh, advent of the Holy Spirit today and the work of the Holy Spirit today in our midst, we would ask this question, will you see Jesus for who He is today and respond to the Holy Spirit as He taps on your heart this morning and says you are in opposition to Him or you need some area of your life, this area of your life, we need to, we need to tighten that up. And as we read the Word of the Lord, what is that going to say to us this morning? It's going to say some of the same exact things it said to the disciples some 2,000 years ago. We're going to look at a few of those things. We're going to look at those things this morning. Mark chapter 13 and verse 5 says this, and we'll go and we'll pray after this. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Now this is going to springboard us into our part two of our message in a ser sermon series on troubling time. But he says, see that no one leads you astray. We're going to look at false Christs that come into the world. Since the beginning, uh, since the book of Acts until around the 60s, we're going to look at some of these guys who, who come out uh, in the world today and said that they were the Messiah. So we're going to get a, a sneak peek at some of those. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him uh, to enrich our lives and to speak to our hearts by His Holy Spirit and as the Word is gone forward. Father, we ask You today that we would hear from heaven. As the Word of the Lord is read and expounded upon, we ask You that the Holy, Your Holy Spirit will do its most glorious and most magnificent work in here today. We ask if there's one that does not know You, doesn't know 100% that they are in Christ, we ask You today that they will make that proclamation sure before they step out the door. We ask you, Father, for the saints who are gathered here today, that way they will become tighter. Their relationship will grow tighter with, with Christ. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. What I want us to look at this morning is that Jesus is going to show that troubling times is just the beginning. He shows His disciples that troubling times is just the beginning. Now, one of the falsehoods that you'll often hear sometimes in some modern, uh, modern evangelical churches today, uh, not necessarily all, but some, say that once you are born again, that everything in life is okay. That you walk a golden road and path of, of roses all the way down. But that's not, that's not so. Everything is in a bed of roses. And Jesus affirms the reality and the honesty that there is going to be troubling times even, even if you are a Christ follower. Things are not different just because you follow Jesus. The only difference is your attitude and how you are now able to have and go through times of hardship with joy. Even in times of hardship, have a, a joy that is abundant. So let's begin chapter 13 verse 6. The word of the Lord says this, Many will come in my name, saying, I am He. And they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. 
And these are the beginning of the birth pains. Now in verse 6 here, Jesus continues the warning and telling of His disciples that there will be many that came and the many that will come in My name. And many will indeed come in His name. And He says in verse 5, when we just looked at the introductory uh, matters and the introductory verse, He says, look out. Be aware. Mark those who are false teachers. Paul picks up on this theme later on in his epistles. And he writes to the, to, to the church of Ephesus. He writes to Timothy. He says, beware of false teachers. Really, that is the gist of his, of his letter. Uh, more so is to say, look, you need to mark those that are false teachers amongst you. And Jesus says the same thing. Look out. Many will come in my name. And he gave a sharp warning. Look out. Mark those that are false teaching now, since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there have been 34 known false messiahs that have come onto the scene. That's not counting your David Koresh. Uh, that's not counting uh, Messiah Michael recently. And that's not counting these guys. These are the ones that are most noted uh, in the media today. That's not even the, the ones that have gone under the radar. There are 34 counting those uh, today. And if, you, and if you want a copy of it, i got them right here just to show you that I'm not just... Just saying something from here, uh, from the poem. But I got uh, a list of false messiahs that have come on the scene since since Jesus, since the first uh, first century church. And if you need a copy of it, get with me after the service, and I'll get you a copy, and you can see that Jesus' prophecy was indeed and has indeed been coming to pass since He said it. Many will come in my name and say, "I am Jesus." Many, or they will say, "I am this Messiah to come." And so this has come to pass. He also says this. We're going to look at Simon, one of Simon Magnus. He is one of the early, earliest in the first century, was one of the first. We also uh, see the Sumerian here in the mid-first century, and the list goes on and on and on. Josephus, the early Jewish historian, which we looked at, looked at last time we were in the book of Mark, showed in his writings also that what the disciples said about the temple is also historical. He has it recorded in his histories as well. The uh, historian, the Jewish historian Josephus. He records uh, false prophets to come on the scene uh, as well. So Jesus isn't just giving some uh, self-proclaimed uh, prophecy out. He knows what's to come and it shows the foreknowledge of Jesus. Acts 5 and 36 says this, and For before these days... Uh, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came from nothing. Now, so this is one that has said that he was also a Jewish Messiah. He rose up and said, I am the Christ that, that, uh, that Israel is looking for. That should be automatic that they didn't understand the Jewish Messiah if they are still proclaiming that He has yet to come. They didn't understand that Jesus came to atone for sin and not rise up a government. Not to overthrow Rome. It shows you that they did not understand the Old Testament Scriptures of who this Messiah was going to be. So Jesus prophesied it. You're going to hear wars and rumors of war, He says. He tries to comfort this in more or less words. He says, stay calm. You're going to hear about wars and rumors of war and earthquakes and all these other things that go on. And, and this prophecy itself, these things, I would be safe to say that a lot of these things invade our lives today. A lot of these same very things we can think about. We turn on the news. We see a lot of these same ideas. These, a lot of these things going on in the world today. 
Wars, no doubt, would have been in Jerusalem, breaking out at 66 A.D. when, when uh, the Jews rose up against Rome to try to overthrow it. And Rome just literally crushed, uh, crushed the Jewish people. And the temple went crumbling down in 70 A.D. Now think of the ongoing historical dilemma that's going on here today. This is not just exclusive to the disciples because if we were trying to track down, and I tried to do this, track down all the wars from World War I all the way up today, you would lose track. I, I couldn't do it. It's not that it was uh, untrackable, but they were so diverse and all over the place that it was very hard for me to track. And, and some, there's always somewhere in the world, even as we speak today, some war that is going on. You can't track them. I tried. And so what Jesus is saying is that there will be wars and rumors of wars. I think because of the media today, we can see a lot more than what the apostles and the disciples did so many years ago. So it brings the prophecy that bit a little bit more vibrant and, and alive to us today, what Jesus was saying so many years ago. His idea is that they don't get focused on the war and the earthquake and all these things, but that their peace can be found in Christ alone. We look around us and see all types of turmoil and trouble. It is in Christ alone. Verse 8, it says this, Nation will rise against nation as part of wars and rumors of war. That is the natural byproduct of that. That there will be nation rising up against nation. And because war is so violent and so, and so many people die, of course there will be famine as a natural result of that. There will be wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said there will be earthquakes in diverse places. Now I can imagine one earthquake in particular that would have shook the very foundation of the apostle. After Jesus was, was hung on the cross and He said it is finished. When He said it is finished, we know by Matthew's account in verse 51 of chapter 27 it says this, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And what happened? The earth shook and the rocks were split. So this prophecy became very alive for the disciples, even then, even so early on. And I began to track the earthquake, and, and as far as I can come up with, was this is probably your escalation of earthquakes since the 1960s. These are measurable ones, and you can see a considerable jump by the time we get to 2002 to 2010. That's a considerable amount. Now, am I saying this is a correlation, a direct Correlation into what Jesus is prophesying. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm trying to say is that there's something to what Jesus said. There's something to what Jesus said and prophesied 2,000 years ago that applies to us today. When the earth is very, when the earth is shaking, we cling to Christ. When our world seems to be crumbling down around us, we cling to Christ. When we have somebody in our family who has passed on or has cancer, when we when we see a, a loved one, our friend suffering, cling to Christ. We can apply many things to what Jesus is saying here, but it just kind of brings it alive a little bit. That it's not just so excluded to the disciples. It affects us too, what Jesus said. I see this case as a display of the foreknowledge of Jesus, which is only possible if Jesus was indeed divine. Divine. Natural progression of war is famine and starvation and, of course, death. And before you think that I'm a doom and gloom preacher are preaching doom and gloom, I'm not. Because what Jesus says, and sometimes we'll miss this point, He says this is beginning of birth pains. Now this really didn't come alive too much for me until uh, Sunday morning when, when Tracy comes in at 5 o'clock in the morning and she says, my water broke. And I say, quit joking. Literally, I say, quit joking. 
I said it's too early to, to be joking. Oh, I'm not joking. And she does that sometimes. She'll joke a little bit, but this wasn't a time to joke. So I'm like putting my clothes on, trying to get ready and everything. You know, I'm trying. To, you know, <laughs> literally, I was, I was. I didn't know I was turning every which way. Literally. And I began to think. Even in the hospital, and after after she gave birth to Abram, this verse really kind of uh, spoke to me about the birth pains. <laughs> now, of course, I'm a man. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what it's like, but you women can. But what a lot of people miss about what Jesus is saying here about the birth pains and the birthing process is that it might be hard. There might be some there might <laughs> pain that goes with the whole birthing process. Because your King James will say this is the beginning of sorrows. The word really means uh, about a mother that is going through the, the childbirthing process. So what we really see on the end of this is after the earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars, the hardship that squeezes you, the birth pains that begin, the end result is that you have something beautiful come out of the process. You have a child that comes out of the process after the birthing pains are over, after the hardships are over, after the world has chipped at you a little bit, and the Lord has allowed it for some reason. He's to sculpt and to mold and to make you a better follower and disciple of Him. So after all the hardship is done, after all the birth pain is done, you come out on the end something that will glorify God. Like our message the last time we were in the book of Mark, there are things in the world that if we will let them, they will worry us to death. You know, you get bleeding ulcers, you have heart problems and stress and all other types of things that if we let them, will literally kill us. When it comes right down to the essentials of life and what is really important in life, thank God that you are alive today. Thank God that you're alive. Thank God that you're breathing. Thank God that you're in a country that will allow us to come through those doors to sing songs about the one that we serve. Amen. Amen. Many people don't have that privilege. The disciples are soon going to lose that freedom to worship. Thank God we live in a country that is still free and that you are secure in a Savior that has you in the palm of His hand. Thank God. Jesus for that this morning. Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes all over the place, famine and all types of natural disasters. We see that Jesus is going to tell us this and this is happening all over the world. This is happening even here in the United States. You may have asked the question this, if God is a loving God, why does He allow such evil? And I get this question quite a bit. Why does God allow evil? Why, why has God allowed such and such to, have, such to happen and evil in the world? There's many ways to answer this question. Number one, the effects of sin, this is why, has totally twisted the world we live in. It's twisted the very ground you walk on. It's, just, it's twisted our very reasoning. The world in which we live, has, sin has so twisted this world and it has become something of a distortion. And the way that that question is answered is that Jesus stepped out from the veil, stepped into the physical in a fleshly form. He died on the old rugged cross and rose again on the third day. This is how Jesus answers this question of suffering and evil in the world. And I might say this, that God is not finished with this world yet. He's not finished. Revelation 21.5 says, 
that He will make all things new. He will make all things new. He isn't finished yet. He might say, the best is yet to come. Now I can imagine if Jesus could have said anything else on the matter to His disciples, something He would say to us today, it would be this, hold on. Hold on. You might be going through something now. Hold on. The best is yet to come. For some reason, we die in this rat race of a world that has been twisted by the effects of sin and the fall. And for some reason, we're called on to meet our Maker. Then we will see Jesus anyway. So no matter how you look at it, it will be a win-win situation for those that are in Christ. A win-win situation. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. Number two, troubling times call for us to be on guard. Calls for us to be on our guard. Verse 9 says this, Be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Verse 10, And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Now Jesus tells His disciples, when we see in verse 9, to stand and to be on guard. Very important for us to be on guard. Don't just let every whim and error of doctrine come our way. Be on guard. He also says that they're going to be handed over to, to councils and those uh, who will persecute them. And this is about to become a striking reality to them. This is about to become a reality for their disciples. There is a places in the world today that is just like this. That, seems, that sees violent persecution against the church. Again, thank God for your freedom to worship. Now this can be seen in the Jewish persecutions, starting with as early as Saul. Remember Saul that was encountered by Jesus on the road to Damascus? Later changed his name to Paul. He was a persecutor of the church. Acts 8 and verse 1. He was given the right to go ahead by the high priest. Go ahead with your, with your persecutions of those that we might call Christians. Later at Antioch. He says this. And Saul approved of his execution, sent on his way. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. You imagine what that scattering did for the gospel. What that scattering did for the gospel. They planted more and more gospel communities by persecution. So just a side note there. Uh, verse 2 says, Devout men, they buried Stephen who was stoned, and they made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now here is a person who later on is going to be a very significant figure in our New Testament, for he wrote three-fourths of our New Testament. But at the beginning, Paul was a persecutor of the church. Now we might not have a chance to stand before kings and rulers. Even the grace of God was extended to, to Saul. He changed his name to Paul. And Jesus used him magnificently. He was stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, thrown out of the city. God used him mightily. That's the grace of God seen even in Saul. But we might not be able to have the chance to stand before kings 
We might not have the chance to stand before rulers or the president, but we are to proclaim the gospel to those around us. And Jesus says, mark those out who are false teachers, be on guard, preach the gospel. You might not have a chance to stand before the king or the president or somebody very high up in order, but sometimes it's harder to witness to your own family than it would be for the president. Sometimes it's harder to, to uh, witness to those that you might call friends than it would be to someone you, you actually meet on the street somewhere. Because you know there is that chance, well, they will reject the message that you give them, but then ultimately they are rejecting the Christ to which you present. But, but Jesus says to them, be on your guard. Be on your guard for everything that's going to come your way. Stand true. Be ready. You might be beaten in the synagogue, he tells them. But the gospel must be proclaimed. That is something that is just, you got to suck it up. Expect it. <laughs> Expect people to not like you because of the message that you present about Jesus Christ. Number three, troubling times demand that we stand firm. Not only to be on our guard, but we stand our ground Stand firm what we believe. Picking up with verse 11, it says this, And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. This is not so much a warning here, but a comfort that Jesus will bring. Sure, these things are going to happen. Be, be, but, but know even in those times of hardship that the Holy Spirit will give you the exact words to say. Just as He did with Moses at the burning bush. He said, hey, I can't speak very well. I'm not eloquent of speech. And, and God reminds Moses, hey, who made the mouth? Who, who created the mouth and the tongue and the lips? I will speak. I will speak when you stand before dignitaries. Look to me to be the one who will give you things to say. There's been many times when I've been uh, speaking with somebody about the Bible and I would say something, where in the world did that come from? Where in the world did that come from? That, I could never think of anything like that on my own. And it was God using this old voice, this old mouth, this old tongue to speak to the people about His good gospel. Sometimes it's just that way that God just... He amazes us even in the words, in the very words that we speak uh, to people. So, he says, rely on, the, on God, really, to speak for you. When brought in before the darkness of persecution, do not worry for the Holy Spirit. He will give you what to say. But not only will He give you what to say, but He will also comfort you. We, we studied about that this morning in Sunday school. Not only will He point to Jesus, not only will He give you what to say, not only will He show you the Scripture, but He will also comfort you in your time of despair, in your time of need. And the world will look at you and say, how in the world do they stay so calm? What is it about them? What is it about them? They're, they should be torn apart and yet they are calm. And it's a peace that passes all understanding that the Holy Spirit will bring upon you. The early Christians were hated for their abominations. And I say abominations. They thought it was an abomination to serve the son of a carpenter who come out of Nazareth. How, what, what good can come out of Nazareth? The brother shall be given up in a treacherous manner. His brother shall be put to death. 
Because of their relationship with Jesus. And Albert Barnes writes this, he says, Through fear or from the hope of reward and from the hatred of the gospel, he will overcome all the natural ties of brotherhood and give up his own kindred to be burnt or crucified. Perhaps nothing could, be, could more clearly show the dreadful evil of those times as well as the natural opposition of the heart to the religion of Christ. Harsh times. Still goes on today. People don't necessarily hate you, but the, they hate is the fact that Jesus is the only way to God. That is the clear fact that is hated. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ is hated in this world today. And give up his own kindred to be burnt, crucified, give up his own family under the great persecutions. Families were literally dragged out of their houses and their lands were literally taken because they identified with the Jewish carpenter, the Messiah. Fox Book of Martyrs tells a story about a man named Nicomachus being brought before the proconsul as a Christian. He was a Christ follower, was ordered to sacrifice to the pagan idols. Nicomachus replied, I cannot pay that respect to devils which is only due to the Almighty. Fox Book of Martyrs is an excellent book. Just a side note, if you want to read some of the early happenings of the early church, how men and women stood for Christ in light of persecution. But he goes on to say, I cannot give a respect to devils which is only due to the Almighty. This speech so enraged the proconsul that they put him on the rack, stretched him out, bones, ligaments, muscles, popped out of place. And after enduring the torments for a time, he recanted. He recanted Christ. But scarcely had he given this fell, then this proof of his frailty, that he fell into great agonies. Dropping down immediately on the ground and died. And died. Now, am I saying that he died because of the rack? Am I saying that he died because he recanted? Uh, either one can be speculative. But nonetheless, I will say this in our application to bring this out. Will you stand firm for Jesus today? Will you stand firm for Christ today? If you don't know Him personally, if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, the one that we profess here today, that rose from the grave, that lived a sinless and perfect and life of perfection, today is the day to know Him. Maybe you want to strengthen your relationship with Him. Maybe you just want to come and cry out on the altar before Him. Jesus, take all my burdens, take all my sins upon Yourself. Maybe you want to do that. Today is the day. If you were to pass away right now, could you say 100% that you would see Jesus face to face? Can you say that 100%? Can you say that you trusted Jesus and that He has taken your sins away and now you are a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ? Number one, He says, troubling times is just the beginning. Number two, we are to stand firm in, in our proclamation of Jesus Christ. And we are also to be on our guard for those that will speak and come against us. Let us pray.
Father, thank you for our time of worship here today, this morning. We ask you, God, as the word of the Lord has gone forward, that you have used the word not only to speak to my heart, but to speak to hearts and minds here today. We ask you that we would enact upon what the Holy Spirit is doing here this morning. It brings the word of the Lord alive to us and real. So not only that we can know about the word, but we can know that it is true 100%. There's one in here today that does not know you, Father. We ask you, God, that you will make yourself real to them and they will submit to you. They will submit to the Son, Jesus Christ. Submit their life to you today. Say, I am a sinner and that I submit my life and that I believe in you as Christ that rose again from the dead and that you have taken my sins upon yourself. We ask you that you would change that life today. The one who has come today that is the Christ follower, every day been serving the Lord many, many years. We ask you, Father, that you would just give them uh, just a reassurance again today that you love them, draw them around them, strengthen them, and say that I will never leave you, no, no, never forsake you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What if you'll stand with me and sing? Sing this morning without Him. The altar is open for those who might want to come and pray. Lay your face on the altar. You might need prayer. I'll be glad to pray with you today. Let's sing without him as we close out today.
Uh, good crowd here today. We thank you that you are real, that you are alive forevermore, and that you have saved our soul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>